darkness tries to roll over my bones the sorrow comes to steal the joy out when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaking no, I won't be shaking we say cause my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love and my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love and my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love well, shame no longer has a place to hide I'm not afraid to leave my past behind I won't be shaking I won't be shaking Let's
Who's tasted death But never known defeat Who's never left A fight without victory Who is this King of glory Our God so strong and mighty The battle belongs to our God the battle belongs to our God. He is fighting for us. He is fighting for us. Who conquers fear and tells the dark to flee? Now raise to life. Defeated the enemy Who is this King of glory? Our God so strong and mighty We say The battle belongs to our God The battle belongs to our God So strong and mighty Jesus the King of glory Jesus so strong and mighty The battle belongs to our God The battle God, He is fighting for us. 
Reminded of the story in 2 Kings where the prophet Elisha is surrounded by an army and his servant is just panicking. He's like, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays and he says, God, give him your eyes. And he opens his eyes and sees that surrounding that enemy is an army of angels. And I think how many times do we find ourselves in a season where we're fearing and we're panicking and, and all we see is the worry, all we see is the fear, when really we just need to stop, turn to our heavenly Father, worship him in those moments, and how often will he then give us his eyes, give us revelation and know that he is with us, he is fighting for us, he is leading us through whatever valley or mountaintop we find ourselves on, he is there. That is our promise, that is our confidence, that is our hope, is that he is there, he is present. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? And so I, I say, let's, this morning, let's just not be a people that just succumbs to fear. Let's not be a people that elevates fear in our lives and in our mind. Let's be a people of faith, that choose to trust God wherever he leads us. And I know that that's not easy. I've struggled with fear, like so many of you. But every time that I choose in the midst of that to lean into faith, God meets me there. He encourages me, he empowers me, and he wants to do the same for you. So how about this morning? We just say, God, give us a spirit of faith, not a spirit of fear. We rebuke that we want to be a people that chooses to trust in you in the midst of any circumstance. Whether it's, it's something that is a great struggle, whether it's even just in the moments where we're just trying to uh, navigate the, the just different areas of life. God, let us just choose to be a people of faith because you are for us, you are with us. And greater are you than anything. The author and perfecter of our faith. The creator of the universe and the heavens. Father, we choose to trust in you. Spirit, just come. Fill this place with your presence, Jesus. Wherever you call us, wherever you lead us, Father, we want to be a people of faith. We worship you from that posture this morning.
called to step out this morning, but you're scared? You're afraid you're going to do it alone? God is not a God who leads you into new beginnings and new experiences just to leave you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Jesus is always with you. I encourage you this morning to take that leap. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders.
Father, I believe you're speaking to people here this morning. Father, I believe that you are calling people out to take steps of faith. Father, I believe that you're speaking right now. Or maybe somebody has just been holding on to something that you're asking them to let go of or make a decision or make a choice that they've just been afraid to make. Whether it's fear of the unknown or that somehow you're not going to meet them there, but you do. Father, for wherever you call us, you meet us there. Father, we don't go alone. You walk right beside us, and we're thankful for that. So we just want to be a people of obedience this morning. God, let us respond as you lead to not hold anything back, but to just choose to trust in you. No matter the circumstance, no matter the obstacle, God, let us just respond in faith. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your presence. Be with Pastor James as he delivers the word. And God, let us receive it with open hearts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good to have you here today. How you doing? You're looking good today, so that's half the battle won, as I always say. If you look good, maybe you feel good as well. Hey, thank you, students. Go and have a great time. So, so this morning, before we get started, I want to spend some time uh, making a presentation this morning. You know that a couple of months ago, or let's say a month and a half ago, we did a, a 5K uh, for the Brisbane Center. And today I have Joe Hargrove here, who is the community relations manager and volunteer coordinator for the Brisbane Center. And uh, I want to make a presentation. You, uh, you, you uh, organized, you volunteered, you pledged money, and we were, we were able to raise about $7,000 uh, for the Brisbane Center. And uh, I just want you to know the Brisbane Center is one of our local ministry partners. We have three local ministry partners, and the Brisbane Center is one of them. And when I say a local ministry partner, these are local ministries in the community that we partner with. We try to volunteer. We try to raise money. We do all kinds of outreach opportunities for them. And so um, I'm going to give Joe an opportunity to say thank you and also share a little bit about the Brisbane Center. There is a table out front and you can meet him there after church. If you're online, you can go to brisbanecenter.com .org. .org, excuse me, O-R-G .org, and you can get more information there. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, you, what you do for the community and how you help us uh, kind of take Christ to the world. So, Thank you all very much. What about that music this morning? Hey, Amen. Good heavens. Man, how powerful that is. So. Uh, this is a, a beautiful thing for us, and we're very grateful to this congregation, Pastor James and Pastor Chris, who yes. really organized the this whole thing. This was a dream. This was um, a dream. She and I talked about 7,000 times um, before the whole event happened. So, uh, But we're, we're very, very grateful. We are the, the largest homeless shelter in this area. We're not just an emergency shelter. We also have transformative services. So we have case management, job help, all sorts of opportunities for our residents because when they leave, we don't want them to come back. That's right. And our largest population is from Spotsylvania County. That's that we serve the most. Um, so if you have any questions, um, please come out and see me. We have a lot of volunteer opportunities. We serve 95,000 
meals a year with no budget for that. So we depend on life groups, Sunday school classes, that type of stuff to come in and sponsor meals. That's something you all can do. We have mobility mentoring. We have life coaches for our residents. So lots and lots of opportunities for kids also. But uh, we're very, very grateful. What a successful race this was. And uh, it was a beautiful day, wasn't it? It was great. Thank day. you very much. Thank you. And, uh, and we're hoping uh, next year that our, uh, our county's graduations <laughs> won't be on the same day that we're doing the race and so more of us can participate. A couple of other housekeeping items. Uh, I want you to know that we're really passionate about you not just showing up on a, a Sunday morning or just watching a service online. We want you to be able to engage the word, word, to go deeper in the word. So what we're providing for you, just in case you don't know, we're providing, if you go on the front page of the website, it will say this week's study. And if you go in the front of, the web, uh, of that page, you will be able to do access three things. You'll be able to access an outline of the message. So we're putting one out every week where we outline the message, and so we want you to know about that. The second thing that you'll be able to do is you'll be able to access a study guide that Pastor Rini, our soon life group pastor, uh, puts out every week. She's been doing it since I've been here, and so every week she puts out a study guide for the message. And the third thing that you'll be able to access is you'll be able to access the deeper dive link so that you can go to the deeper dive. And so what we do is we provide three opportunities for you to dive deeper into the message on a weekly basis. Because if you just show up here, this is great and we love that you're here and we love to gather and to worship and, and to hear the word, but we want you to go deeper in the word. And that's one of the ways that we are providing for you to do that. And then I want to introduce you to our our soon coming Next Generation Family Connect pastor, uh, Carrie Dillman. You'll see a picture of her family on the screen there. And uh, she'll be with us in about a month, as I already said. Rini is moving with the life group. She's so gifted at it and has been doing a lot of stuff already. And then Carrie will be coming in and, and working with our Next Generation Ministries and being our Family Connect pastor. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin praying for the Dillman family right now. As they begin this process, they've already kind of a, uh, have talked here. They're looking for homes and trying to purchase a home. They're coming from the Woodbridge area, so it's not too far. But there's a lot of stuff that happens because Carrie believes in, in living in the community that she ministers in, her and Jonathan. Uh, they're moving to the Fredericksburg area. So be in prayer for them. I'm excited about what God's going to do in our next generation generation and our life group ministries. And so uh, keep that in prayer uh, in these coming days. Well, we uh, are, are in the third message of our series, our Revelation series. And, and if you remember correctly, the first message we started, we started talking about starting at home and wanted you to understand what the main thing, what the main thing of Revelation is. It's not about beast or, or 666 or, or destructions and, and bowls. That's not the main thing. All of those things happen and all of those things are in it. But the main thing is the lamb who was slain on our behalf. He's the main object of Revelation. If you, if, you, if you get into anything else, you're missing the mark. And then we begin to talk about starting at home. It's interesting that uh, the, the Lord says to John um, uh, that he's going to start at home. Write what is. And then he begins to talk about what will be. And what is was seven churches. There were in Asia Minor who were under immense persecution. 
And so the Ephesus church, he talks about the busy church, the church that was doing a whole bunch of good things. They had great outreach. They had they had all kinds of great programs. But in their busy work, they had lost their first love. And so he challenges the church in Ephesus to rekindle their first love Well, this morning we moved to the church of Smyrna. And let me just say this to you in the beginning. Uh, This particular message is not going to excite you. This is not, you don't don't sell self-help books based on this. But I believe it's one of the most important letters to all, all, all of the churches. And so would you hear what God is saying to the church in Smyrna? Write this to Smyrna, to the angel of the church, the beginning and ending, the first and final one, the once dead and then come alive speaks. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain, dire poverty. But I also see your wealth and I hear the lie in the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews who in fact belong to Satan's crowd. Fear nothing in the things that you're about to suffer but stay on guard. Fear nothing. The devil is about to throw you in jail for a time of testing, 10 days. It won't last forever. Don't quit. Even if it costs you your life, stay there believing. I have a life crown sized and ready for you. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Christ conquerors are safe from devil's death. So what does Jesus say to a suffering church? What does he say to people suffering? Of all the churches that were going through persecution in Asia Minor during those days, this was a church that was going through the most persecution. They were the church that were suffering the most. They were dealing with temptations. They were dealing with trials. They were, they were dealing with persecution. They were dealing with a number of things. And it's hard for us to kind of get it because we don't see that often. But the church in the East, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the Eastern part of the world, they, they deal with this all the time. And so what does Jesus write to a suffering church Look up and look out. Look up and look out. So you need to remember that that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, if you're suffering, don't just focus on yourself. There's a tendency when we suffer, when we're going through trials and when we're going through tough stuff in our lives to focus our attention on us to focus our attention on our situation, to focus our attention on the situations of the people around us who are suffering, there's a tendency for us to ask the question, God, why are people suffering? Why am I suffering? Why is my family suffering? Why is the church suffering? Why is there suffering in the world? There's a tendency for us to ask all of those questions. We all suffer, some more and some less. But we all face suffering in our lives, so how are we going to handle it? Jesus not only is telling us what to do as we face our own suffering, but he's also telling us and showing us how to respond as we face the sufferings of others in the world. 
when we face suffering of people in our family, when we face the suffering of people in the church, and when we face the suffering of of people in the family of God, he says, look up and look out. See, thoughts of suffering can sometimes totally overwhelm us. Have you been there? And, and, And when that happens, we wonder, why am I suffering we wonder, what, what did I do to deserve this? We wonder, is this something that, 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 that God is in? What's going on here? And does God really even care? And, and, and in this letter, in this letter, Jesus figuratively takes us to the Rubicon Cafe, gets us a cup of coffee, tea, whatever you drink, whatever your beverage is. And he sits us down and he looks us in the eyes And he begins to say to us, I get it. Look up and look out. I get it. And then he says to us four or five things that I want you to write down and I I want you to lock in on. The first thing he says is this, I see and I hear. I see, I see and I hear. See, when we're suffering, there's a tendency for us to ask the question, where is God? Where is God in my suffering? Where is God in all the stuff that I'm going through? It's a question that we see in the, in the Bible again and again as people suffer and people ask the question, where is God? Maybe you remember the story. It's, it's John, John the precursor, John the, the prophet, the one that goes before Jesus. He's ticked off Herodias. And they're going for his head. And he sends a message to Jesus. <laughs> and, 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 and he's so, he's so um, overwhelmed with the suffering, so overwhelmed with what he's getting ready to go through. They're getting ready to take his head. And he sends a message to Jesus, says, Jesus, are you the one? Remember, he's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when the chopping block time comes, he says, are you the one? And Jesus responds to him, say to him that the the sick are healed, the blind see, and the kingdom of God is going forward. When we go through suffering, there can be a tendency for us to wonder if God sees Listen to the word again. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain, dire poverty, but I also see your, your wealth. And I hear the lie of those who claim to pretend they're good Jews who are in fact belong to Satan's crowd. Jesus understands our suffering. He understands what it's like to go through difficult times. The Smyrna church is, is, is right in the middle of our popular rich town. It had a great harbor. It was at the end of a big street called Golden Street. It went, a, it went around one of the hills, and they called it the crown. They called it a crown sometimes because of the way it circled around the hill. And the jewels, the jewels in that crown were temples of false worship. Temples of false gods and false worship were the Jews in those crowns. When the people of Smyrna thought about how great their city was, they were thinking about these temples, these ornate, gorgeous temples that littered the Golden Street, a temple to Zeus, 
a temple to Apollo, Apollos, a, a, a temple to Aphrodite. All the temples of the false gods were along Golden Street. It was a wonderful, beautiful street. The city prided itself with being the most beautiful city in all of Asia. They prided themselves for because of their culture, because of their wealth. And as, Jesus, as Christians walked through the city, they weren't a part of that. They were people on the other side of the railroad tracks. They were the people who were left out, who were looked over, who were laughed out. They were outsiders because of their faith in Christ. Remember, their, their way, this way that had sprung up after Jesus raised from the dead, this was the new religion. They were the new kids on the block, and people did not like them. And people, because they did not like them, they didn't share in the wealth. They didn't share in the beauty of the city. They were outsiders. They were facing huge economic and physical suffering. What did Jesus say to them? I can see. I can see. I'm not blind to it. I know what's going on. I see and I hear. You know, sometimes when we go through suffering, we can, come, we can become deists. We can, we can become deists. We can start to believe that God kind of put all this together and created all of it, and he just decided to sit on his hands while it just kind of runs out. We can become deists in the, in the midst of suffering. But what Jesus says to them is, I understand what you're going through. And not only does he, he understand, he knows what they go through. Because Jesus knows what it means to be falsely accused. Jesus understands what it's like for people to have power for a brief moment and believe they have it forever because, or they have control over your life because he dealt with it. Now, he's different than us, right? He could have stopped it at any moment, but he decided to be submissive to the plan of the Father. Jesus knows what it means to be ridiculed. Think about it. Jesus knows what it means to be rejected. Jesus knows what it feels like to be whipped and have a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. Jesus knows what it means to be executed because of who he is. See, there's no suffering. There's no pain that you will ever go through or I will ever go through that Jesus doesn't understand because he's been there and he's done that. When you're going through a tough time, and some of you who are listening online or right here in this room are going through a tough time right now, you're dealing with some kind of really difficult situation. It could be just that God has brought you here today so that you could hear when you're going through to look up and to look out. Can you see him there, sitting across from you, looking into your eyes, saying, I know, I know. I see, I hear. I'm not absent. I care. And then you also hear him as he's sitting down at that table say something else to you. Fear nothing. I, I fear nothing. L listen to what the scripture says. Fear nothing in the things you're about to suffer, but stay on guard. Fear 
nothing. When I hear that, that reminds me of something that I uh, knew when I was growing up. Watch this. This is what I know. Your powers have been given to you for a reason. Your wisdom, your patience, your loyalty are far more important than you can ever understand. The world needs a hero. And man needs a best friend. You're a cat burglar, huh? Well, I'm not really a cat person. Woof. Do you remember the statement of underdog? Have no fear, underdog is here. You know, uh, when I hear that statement, fear not, have no fear, I, I kind of think of underdog. And you know what underdog does? Underdog comes in and he makes everything perfect. He makes everything okay. He deals with whatever you're dealing with so that you don't have to deal with it. But that's not the statement that Jesus is making to the church in Smyrna. That's not the statement he's making. This command of Jesus, and it is a command, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. This command of Jesus to fear nothing is one of the most common phrases in the Bible whenever a person comes in contact with God. Remember, the angel of God shows up and, and, and says to the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you good news. And, and anytime a person comes in the presence of God, when Abraham or, or when Moses goes in the presence of, of God, when Isaiah goes in the presence of God, he becomes almost like dead. There's something about being in the presence of God that makes a difference. If an angel of God showed up to me and said to me, fear not, I can tell you no matter what the angel of God says, I'm going to have some fear. So when God says fear not in the Bible, what is he talking about? How do we pull that off? How do we make that work? I mean, I get sweaty palms anytime I go to the dentist. I mean, and I, I, mean I've got, I got dentist issues. I, I, Rose has a dentist who's great. She loves the, he's a good guy. He knows her by heart. And, and I always say to him, but he treats me different than he treats you. I mean, here's the deal. I go in, I have very sensitive nerve endings. And, and no matter how much they shoot me up with Novocaine, which in and of itself is scary, right? Novocaine, the needle that's going on to numb the nerves, hurts before it numbs the nerves. And so they'll stick me with all of these needles, and, and they always say to you, you're not going to really feel anything. You're not going to really feel anything. And if you do, just kind of wave your hand or something. And so this guy is, is doing some pulling, and he takes the drill out. I hate the sound of the drill. I hate the sound of the drill and, and, and in your teeth, and it just, it just doesn't seem right to me. And so the, the guy goes in, and, and, and I said, well, well, should I feel something? He said, oh, you're going to feel something, but you'll be all right. Famous last words. And so he begins to drill something, and he hits a nerve, and I don't put my hand up. I go like this. And he says, I said to you, put your hand up. I said, I did put my hand up. 
I don't like the dentist. And we all have fears, right? I don't like spiders. Not the little tiny ones. I just step on them, but the big, fat, hairy ones. I was looking at Australia the other day. You know they have a season in Australia where everything's covered with spider webs? I cannot. They have a spider in, in, in Australia as big as a dog. I can't do Australia. I will go to every other continent. I can't do Australia. Not even on the list. I'll check off all the rest of them. Australia, I can't do. We all have fears, right? I, I, I get nervous if I get into major height situations. One time I was uh, on a, a, a situation in South Africa, and they have these great falls there. And a couple of my buddies were there, and they were trying to get me to take a picture on this big, giant rock. But the big, giant rock, if you step about three feet from it, you're down. You're way down. And so they're getting me up there, and they're all brave and everything like that, and they can see my legs shaking because I'm on the rock, and I'm scared to death. I don't like great heights. We all struggle with fears in life. When you think of the level of struggle that we have with fear, how do we make this no fear thing work? When Jesus says, do not be afraid, he's not saying pretend that suffering doesn't hurt because it does. When he says no fear, he's not saying that life is not hard sometimes because it is. He's saying that you can be sure that ultimately, ultimately, he will not let you and I down. This is not some limited warranty. This is not some guarantee for a number of years and then it wears out. This is not something that kind of goes away with the wear and tear on your body. Jesus was saying, I have your back. I will not let you down. He's telling us how to live in the real world. When he says fear nothing, He's telling us how to live in the real world. It's not an underdog world. It's the real world. A fake Jesus would say something like this. Fear nothing. It's going to turn out okay. Life is going to be perfect, and you don't have to worry about a thing. I got it all in control. No problems, no fears, no persecution. Everything is going to be pie in the sky by and by. That's what the fake Jesus would tell you. And we have some Folks out there selling that form of Christianity, beware, beware, because here's a real world statement that Jesus gives us. Fear nothing and the things that you're about to suffer. And some of you are going to say, James, I like the first statement better. I got some issues I've got some issues with the second part of that verse. He didn't say fear nothing, you're not going to suffer. He said fear nothing in the things you're about to suffer. Real world, real world. When you say face suffering, when you, when you face difficulties, Jesus says you can have no fear to fear nothing. Now when Jesus saying, when Jesus says fear nothing, he's not saying don't feel anything. He's saying, trust me in everything. Some people think not being afraid means not having any feelings of fear. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that when he says to them, 
He's not saying that when he says fear not. He's saying to them, you can trust me in everything. You can trust me when the worst of life is thrown at you. You can trust me. He's not asking us to live in denial. Some of us just live in denial. We can see the world falling apart around us, and, and some of us will say, well, it looks good to me. He's not asking us to live in denial. He's not asking you to live the lie that everything is going to be okay. Life is going to turn out perfect. Nope, that's living in denial because life sometimes does not and may not turn out perfectly for you and I. And I can uh, give, uh, I can pretty much, if you're not living in denial, give you a 100% guarantee that life is not going to turn out perfect for you and me. It's not going to happen. Because life does not turn out for He is saying to you and I that we can live in faith no matter what life throws at us because we know that he's going to be there. So you don't have to be afraid about what you're going to suffer. Can you see him sitting in the chair looking at you and saying you don't have to be afraid? So what does it mean not to be afraid? It means that you realize that no matter what happens in this life, God is going to take care of us. What does that mean? What does God taking care of us mean? Does it mean he's going to shield us from all the stuff in our lives? No. What it means is God works in all things for the good of those who love him, those are called, who are called according to his purpose, that God can take the stuff of our lives, the suffering of our lives, the pain of our lives, the trials of our lives, that God can take it all and work it together for something good. Do you believe it? I believe it. I've seen it over my life, how God has taken the worst stuff in my life, and God has used it and worked it out. The very fact that I'm standing on the stage today in front of you is because one of the worst things that happened in my life, and it was out of that that God brought me to this tribe. I was living with great foster parents, good Christian people, and God saw fit for, it to be, for me to go back to my biological family. And at the time, it was dysfunctional and was all messed up. And my parents were all messed up. And I thought it was the greatest mistake that God ever made in my life. <laughs> but God sits across the table and says, I'll be with you. And so 500 feet up the road was this little church that became my second home. And they raised me and they taught me leadership and they sent me to a college and they recognized my call to ministry. And the thing that I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, God was in it. Did, did, did that mean that there wasn't some tough times at home? No. There was fighting. There was uh, alcoholism. There was adult. All that kind of stuff was there. And I dealt with a lot of that. But God was in it, working it all together for the good. There are many times in life <laughs> that, that, that we kind of make up some problems, right? There are many times we're, 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 we're fearing some stuff that we shouldn't even be fearing. There are many times we, we kind of are working on things that aren't even happen to, happening to us. 
And, and then we wonder where the strength is going to come, for, come from for that situation. I can't tell you how many people who have come to me and said, you know what, I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't think I could ever make it if I got a cancer diagnosis. And then they said, but when, when the diagnosis came, God gave me strength and he helped me to make it and helped me to walk through it. I, I was so afraid. I was so afraid that my spouse was going to leave and, and I saw some warning signs and, and I thought I would fall apart and, and that I would never make it, but God helped me to make it. He helped me to put one foot in front of the other and, and keep on going. I was terrified that I was going to get laid off and didn't know where, what would happen, how I would make it, how the bills were going to get paid. And when I got laid off, God made a way. Why should God give us assurance of circumstances that are never going to happen in our lives? He doesn't do that. What he does is when they happen, he's with us. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt when you face cancer or lose a spouse or lose your job because it does hurt and it does stink and it hurts terribly. But what I'm saying is when the hurt comes, that's when God gives us strength for that very moment. So the first thing he says is I see and I hear. And the second thing he says is do not fear or fear nothing. And the third thing he says is don't quit. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but it's easy to quit when things are going tough. Don't quit, Revelation 2.10 says, even if it costs you your life, stay there believing. So how can you not quit in tough times? How can you know you're going to persevere when the tough times hit? How can you guarantee right here and right now that you are going to remain faithful when life starts to hurt? If you're looking for that kind of stamina, if you're looking for that kind of stick to in your own self, in your own self, you will not find it. You can't bootstrap it. Your intelligence isn't going to make it happen. All your experiences are going to help you in it. You can't guarantee it in your own strength. There's no guarantee in me that I'm going to be faithful no matter what, that I'm not going to give up. I'm weak and I struggle, and I'm sure that you are weak and you struggle as well. So where is the guarantee in faithfulness? If you don't believe that God is faithful, you won't be faithful to him no matter what. When the tough times happens, if you don't believe that God is faithful, you will not remain faithful. But if you believe that he is faithful to you, no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you're going through, if you believe that, then you're going to be faithful to him. If you believe that God owes you a perfect life, then, then you're not going to be faithful. Because if you believe that God owes you a perfect life and it doesn't happen, then you're going to be one of the folks that say, hey, God, I kept my part of the bargain. I gave my life. I surrendered my life to you. You didn't keep your part of the bargain. I'm out. We've seen people like that. Sometimes it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's when the big surprises come. When, when, the, when the suffering comes, you hear statements like this, Lord, I, I thought you promised me a life of success. I thought you promised me a, a life of wealth and health and peace, and you not kept your promise. I know there's a, there's a brand of Christianity out there 
that's called Health, Wealth, and Prosperity Gospel that promises that if you serve the Lord, that somehow God is going to protect you from the things <laughs> of the world. If that's the case, then we need to apologize to the church in the East who are getting their heads lopped off and dying for the faith day after day after day after day. That's not the promise of God. So when problems and suffering come, if you believe that God is faithful no matter what, you can deal with and work through those problems. So settle the issue in your mind that God is faithful. Faithfulness does not mean that God owes you a perfect life. Faithfulness means that you can trust God to keep his promises, that you can trust the God who said it will come through. God didn't promise to give us a perfect life. He told us in the Bible that anyone who believes in him would go through suffering. So he did not promise that, that, that we would have a perfect life, but he promises that he goes with us. And, and I know this doesn't sell books on the, of the local bookstore, and I know this doesn't make for good movie material, but God promises that he's with us in our suffering. I want to introduce you, some of you today, for the very first time to a man who was a member of the church in Smyrna, very likely, he was a member of the church when this letter arrived. Can you imagine being the person who received this letter from John? Later on, he became the pastor of the church. In fact, he became the pastor on the 22nd of February, AD 156. And it's written in history that he's captured outside of the city one day by the government, and they bring him to the city amphitheater before the pro-council, and they ask him to deny his faith. He was asked to bow down to Caesar. They even tried to be nice to him. They said something like this, you know, you're an old dude. We know you're old, and there's not much time you have left in the world. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut you a deal. Here's the deal, just between you and us. Why don't you just kind of bend your knee really quickly, and you get up, and, and we'll just wipe all the charges. We'll, just, we'll, we'll get rid of all the charges. You can keep on living life. You can keep on pastoring the church. Just, just bow your knee really quickly to Caesar and get up, and all this will be over. We can walk away from all of this. And Polycarp's response, the bishop of Smyrna, is one of the most famous statements in all of Christian history. He looks that government official straight in the eyes, and he said this, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king that saved me? Now, this is, this, is not, this is not the suffering we go through. This is not someone making fun of us and ridiculing us. This is not someone not giving us promotion because we're loud about our faith. This, this is not someone who responds to us in kind when we're being boneheads. You know, some of us get persecuted because we're boneheads. Ever done something boneheaded and got persecuted and then asked God, God, why am I getting persecuted? I want God one day to, 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 to say back to us, because you're being a bonehead. 
This is not that kind of suffering. This is the kind of suffering where the stump is here, the ax is in the hand, the neck is on the stump, and they're saying, bow down or die. And Polycarp, centuries later, the most famous statements in all of Christian history is this statement by him. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That's faithfulness. What a picture of faithfulness. God has been faithful to me. But you know what has to happen? Probably Cobb didn't make up his mind in that moment that God was faithful. He didn't make up that mind where he saw the glistening of the sharpness of the axe. He had made up in his mind a long time ago that God is faithful, that God saw him, that God heard him, that God said, do not fear, and that God says, do not give up. And because of that, when the moment came, he didn't have to hesitate. He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to spend any time. He could look right into his executioner's eyes and say, you don't have the last say you're not in charge. You might take this here, but there's an eternity waiting for me. I would say it's something like this. In my life, it would sound like this. Forty and three years have I served him. That's when I became a Christian, not when I was born. <laughs> and he has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme the God who saved me. When you settle the issue of God's faithfulness in your heart, believing that God will do you no wrong, even when you struggle, even when your life isn't perfect, then you will be faithful to him, not to only live, but, but, but sometimes to give your very life. If you don't have the issue settled, you probably won't be faithful. Settle the issue today. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is with me. He sees. He hears. He calls me not to fear. He calls me not to give up. And, and I'm selling the issue now and saying, this I believe. This I will stake my very life on. And then last thing he says is this crowns for you. He doesn't say it like that, but it sounds good. Here's what he says. I have a life crown sized ready for you. I love the, 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 the kind of movement of these letters and how the letters move. I, I, I love the way it works. He says, hey, I, I see you. I know you. Here, here's, some, here's some commendations. Here's some corrections. And then he says, those who overcome are going to get this. There are times in life when certain bouts of suffering don't make sense in this world. They don't make sense to, to our mind. They, they don't make sense to, to what's going on. They don't make sense to maybe what we even heard when, we, when people talk to us about becoming a Christian. And the reality is they're not going to make sense in this world. It doesn't make sense. We ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people serving, why do people serving Christ have to die? Remember Stephen? Stephen is there and, and he's, he's been serving Christ. And they pick up stones to stone him, and they stone him to death. And we can go on and on and on. The book of Hebrew talks about the heroes of the faith and, and how, how a number of them gave their very lives. Every, every apostle died in some unwarranted way. John's the only one 
that dies of natural causes and it's because they tried to kill him <laughs> and for some reason he wouldn't die. So they threw him on the Isle of Patmos <laughs> and ostracized him. And even in that, God was working because that's why the book of Revelation is here today. At times we see our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering and again wonder why they're suffering. You can't find the answer in this world. The answer is in heaven. Their answer is in that day when that, that kind of crown of life is placed on our heads. And, and then as the old timers would say, we are understand it better by and by. Now, I, I'm not this person that believes that we, we do all of this stuff down here so that we can get a crown up there. No, I believe you do it all down here because you believe God is faithful. And I, I believe you do it all down here because you know that it's better to live with Christ and to go through some suffering than to live without him here and etern etern in e into eternity I was thinking about the city of Smyrna in closing, where Christians are walking down the golden street, and they see all these temples that they call the Jews of the, in the crown of golden street, and they walk by, I, I feel like they're feeling inferior. They're feeling like they, they don't quite belong because they're poor and, and they're weak and, and they're being persecuted and they're surrounded by all of these powerful temples and these, these powerful kind of fake gods on Golden Street. But as Paul, as Paul Harvey would say, that is not the end of the story. The rest of the story is in these moments they look up and they look out to the promise of a different golden street, to a promise of a different kind of crown, a golden street that will never pass away, a crown that will never pass away. And so sometimes we, we walk down the streets and we see the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but the promise of God to those who persevere, to those who continue to look up and out, those who understand that, that God sees and, and, and he hears, those who decide to fear nothing, to, to not quit. He says, I got your back, not just in this world, but in the world to come where you will reign forever with me. And I love the thing he says at the end, the Christ conquerors are safe from a devil, devil's death. Let me close in saying this. So Jesus is there at the Rubicon Cafe with us, and he's having this conversation. And he says, do not fear about what you're about to suffer. Here's the thing I know about fear. In our own strength, we will do one or two, we have one or two responses of fear. We either run away or we fight. And I believe the church is in that kind of a place today. Some of us have just run away. Some of us have run away totally. Some of us have run away and we're just kind of circling our wagons and waiting to go home. But then some of us are fighting and the problem is not that we're fighting because the Bible talks about using the weapons that God has laid out for us to fight. Put on the full armor of God so in the day of battle, you'll be able to stand. Helmet of salvation, 
right? Breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, all those things, all those weapons of warfare. The problem is sometimes we believe that we're God and we're going to take this issue on and our fighting becomes a disservice to the faith because sometimes our fighter moves beyond kind of the fighting, the good fight, to fighting in fear. And fighting fear always brings about hate. Listen to me, people of God. Fighting that way always does a disservice to the kingdom because that's the way the world fights. We're called to a higher level. We're called to a fight where we stand up for truth. We stand up for the things of God, but we do it in love. That's what the world does not understand. That's what they can't comprehend. People who fight, who stand for the cause and do it with love. So Jesus says in the conversation, I see and I hear. You don't need to fear. Don't quit. Because I have a crown for you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you. Lord, we don't like, <laughs> we don't like that particular letter. I'm not particularly fond of it. But Father, I think that it's the most important letter that you wrote to one of those seven churches. Because there's something about suffering that draws us closer to you. There's something about suffering that builds character in our lives. And Father, you see it, you hear it, and sometimes you allow it. And so, Father, would you help us today? Lord, I think that uh, what the church in USA America needs these days is a little bit of suffering. I believe it will drive us to our knees. I believe it will separate the wannabes from the real thing. And so, Father, today, Lord, would you be the God who sits across the table from us and looks us in the eyes and tell us that we can do this. We can do this. Lord, Lord there's some people listening, and we've already prayed for them earlier this, this morning before anyone gathered in this auditorium or online. There's some people who are listening who are going through suffering right now and are about to give up, and they never tried you. They've never, they've never surrendered their lives to you. And so the morning, this morning, Father, um, I just believe there's some people in this auditorium and online who, who would say, today, I'm going to surrender myself to God, not because I believe I'm going to get a perfect life, but because I believe that God will be with me, that he's faithful to the end. And so I believe people are this morning are making the decision to give their lives to Christ for the very first time, to turn away from doing their own thing, for trying to fight the battles on their own and deciding to lean into your grace that goes before and Father, I, I pray for those folks today who just need to settle in their mind right here and right now that God is faithful, and no matter what, 
no matter what, they're going to understand that he sees and hears that he enables them to fear not and that they don't have to give up. Father, help us settle that. That's a lordship issue in our lives. Help us to settle that issue, whether in the auditorium or online, belongers who will settle the issue today, right today. So when the day of testing comes, when the day of testing comes, trials, suffering, they're just, they're just like Polycarp going all the way. Not a doubt in their mind. Not an issue because we know you're faithful. Thank you, Father, for being the faithful God, for being the God who goes with us in our time of struggle, in our time of suffering. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Thank you, Pastor James. And uh, we just want to also encourage you if, you know, you you weren't made to do this walk alone. And so we want to be able to come alongside you. And so if there's ever a point where you need prayer, you just need someone to, you know, offer some encouragement, a pastor or whatever, we have an email. You can just email care at salemfields.com or email info at salemfields.com. We would love to just come alongside you and support you in that. And then also, if you made a decision today, you know, whether it's to accept Jesus as Savior, you know what, just to make a deeper commitment, we want to hear about it. So if you just go to salemfields.com slash my decision, let us know so that we can again, just come alongside of you, give you some next steps, and just encourage you uh, in this walk. If you're a guest with us, uh, we're so happy that you are here. Um, if you could just scan that QR code on the screen or go to salemfields.com slash guest, especially if you're online, uh, there's a connection card there. Just fill that out. It takes about 30 seconds. And again, so that we can reach out to you, uh, connect with you, uh, and answer any question that you might have about the church uh, and really just help you engage more in community. Uh, so also, we want to make sure that you know the ways that you can give is that, again, that's another way that we worship God here at Salem Fields Community Church. Go out to one of the giving kiosks here online. Click that little green button in the top right-hand corner. Or as always, you can give safely and securely through salemfields.com slash giving. Uh, again, it's just another way that we're able just to put God first uh, in the area of our finances, knowing that that is what goes to help carry the vision and the mission of Salem Fields Community Church locally and all throughout the world. Uh, also, just really quick, want to remind you, we have a Labor Day fireworks event that is coming up, and this is not just some uh, small fireworks display. This is a full-blown display that your family and friends and neighbors are going to love, so make sure you mark that down. Labor Day weekend, it's going to happen on that Sunday. Uh, there's going to be bands and, and food and just a great time, so make sure to be there for that. Uh, plan for that and invite as many people as you can to come with you. And then lastly, if you have a student or you are a student, they're going to be celebrating Christmas in July. Uh, that's going to take place. They're going to do some ice skating. They're going to watch Elf. And it's just going to be a great time. So make sure you email students at SalemFields.com uh, to get more details about that or to sign up. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We hope you have a fantastic week. God bless you. I'll see you back here next weekend.